the podcast from Belmont Chapel in Exeter, sharing the story, living the life. For more information, go to belmontchapel.org.uk. Well, good evening, and tonight we're in week seven of our Amos series, reflecting on Amos's speech in chapter eight. Although, to be honest, we also dip a little bit into chapter seven at the start. Well, during the COVID pandemic, many aspects of life went on hold, especially in the beginning, until people learnt how to use technology such as Zoom to work remotely from home and maintain community interactions, such as we did here at Belmont through home groups and live streaming or or recorded streaming churches. Our neighbours even held weekly quizzes with their families scattered around the UK, which went on for over two years. Much of my life moved online and I benefited from Belmont's use of technology and even my parents, who despite being in their 80s, became quite computer literate. Now although the pandemic is officially over, all this technology has remained as useful tools perhaps for business and for for education. It continues to shape our post-Covid ways of living and working. Hybrid working, for example, has become the norm for many people. My youngest daughter actually starts her first graduate job this week. And although she only lives 35-minute walk from her office, she can choose how many days of the week she'll work in the office and how many at home. But while technology can be great when it works, I'm sure those of you who Zoom, Teams, Google Meet, etc., can understand why this mug or this mug design has sold millions in recent years. The phrase, you're on mute, is still a cry I hear every week during the numerous Zooms I take part in. Now the problem when you're on mute, of course, is that the rest of the group do not benefit from your presence in the meeting. They will not hear your advice, your thoughts, your examples, your illustrations and reasoning. Being on mute means you're absent from the conversation. Well, over these last few weeks, we've explored the book of Amos. I think it's been obvious that God has not been on mute. The book of Amos reveals to us that God is a God who chooses to speak to the people of God in Israel through the mouth of Amos. In chapter 1, verses 3, 6, 9, 11, 13, and carrying on into chapter 2 and beyond, we hear this phrase again and again. This is what the Lord says. In chapter 3, it starts with the declaration, Hear this word, people of Israel, the word the Lord has spoken against you, against the whole family I brought up out of Egypt. The whole book of Amos is a series of speeches from God through Amos, warning of the consequences, the punishment for failing to live as the people of God. But since the punishment is yet to arrive, I think the book also encourages the Israelites to change their behaviour, to acknowledge that their lives are moving away from God and calling on them to return, to restore their broken relationships with God and with each other. These broken relationships are revealed through wrong worship and the way the wealthy and powerful are abusing the poor and powerless. The example on the screen is from Amos chapter 2. God calls them back to truly love him and love his neighbours. God sends Amos again and again to tell them, to warn them, to encourage them, that if they stay on this path, it will lead to destruction and suffering. But there is hope if they change. 
They're called to live as the people of God and in doing so to reveal God's character to the rest of his creation, to the nations and families around them. So God comes to them and gives the opportunity to not suffer the punishment, the consequences of walking away from God. And we read about that in chapters 5 and in chapters 9 in particular. God doesn't want them to suffer the consequences of their repeated wrong behaviour, the consequences of ignoring God's message to them. God is certainly not on mute in the book of Amos. God is revealed as the God who is interested, who is concerned, who comes and speaks to his people. A God who is interested in justice, who speaks against injustice. So that's God. God's not on mute. So how do the Israelites respond to all these calls to return to God? All of these warnings about the future coming punishment. Well, for most of the book of Amos, the Israelites are on mute. We do not hear their comments to Amos until we get to chapter 7. So listen with me to chapter 7 verses 10 through to 13. Then Amaziah the priest of Bethel sent a message to Jeroboam king of Israel. Amos is raising a conspiracy against you in the very heart of Israel. The land cannot bear all his words for this is what Amos is saying. Jeroboam will die by the sword and Israel will surely go into exile away from their native land. Then Amaziah said to Amos, get out you seer, go back to the land of Judah, earn your bread there and do your prophesying there. Don't prophesy any more at Bethel because this is the king's sanctuary and the temple of the kingdom. Now chapter 7 is that really the only time that the Israelites have a voice in the book of Amos. It's when we hear the priest telling Amos to simply shut up, to stop prophesying. This Israelite is telling God to click mute. They simply don't want to hear from God anymore. So while the Israelites may claim to love God and love their neighbours, it is clear that they're not walking with God. Their behaviour reveals their true interests and motives. Now in chapter 8, we hear how God, who speaks, responds to the priest's requests. So let's read it now together. And if you're listening to the recording, why not press pause and just read through chapter 8 one or two, two times. Now I'm sure you recognise much of the passage sounds similar to previous messages we've heard of in, in earlier episodes. There is the warning that judgment is coming in verses 1 through to 3. Listen to verse 2 onwards. Then the Lord said to me, the time is ripe for my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. Verse 3. In that day, declares the sovereign Lord, the song of the temple will turn to wailing. Many, many bodies flung everywhere. Silence. Verses 4 through 6 tell the Israelites yet again how their lives have gone wrong, both in their worship of God and how they treat the poor and powerless. But clearly the Israelites have ignored all the previous opportunities to respond and turn back to God. Otherwise this message would not be needed. And then verses 7 through 14 describe the consequences of their behaviour. The judgement which God tells them is coming. 
So much of this chapter repeats what has already been said to the Israelites previously. But I wonder if you notice that verses 11 through to 12 talked of a different punishment, a new punishment perhaps. It is a punishment that responds directly to the priest's request from chapter 7. Let me read it to you again. Verse 11 and 12. The days are coming, declares the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine through the land, not a famine of food or a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea and wander from north to east, searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. God's punishment is to give the Israelites exactly what they asked for back in chapter 7. Remember, Amaziah told Amos to stop prophesying, to stop bringing God's message. God's word to the Israelites is rejected. God says, OK, and tells them that he will press the mute button and stop talking to them. Instead of being the God who speaks, God will become the God who is silent. God on mute. Now, when I first read verses 11 and 12, I thought, well, that does not sound too bad, to be honest. The physical punishments we hear in the rest of the book of Amos appear to be much more painful than God simply not talking. But the more I reflected on God's action, the greater I understood how huge the consequences of God's silence would be. I wonder if you think, what are the consequences of God being silent? God chooses to withdraw from them. God allows them to walk away from him. And in doing so, these people of God will become the people of, well, whatever they like. The Israelites will be on their own. The people will experience a spiritual exile. In a way, it reminds me a little of the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve in Genesis 3 are exiled from God. But even more so, it reminds me of the start of the story of the prodigal son, found in Luke 15, verses 11 through to 32, where the son walks away from the family, away from his father, and heads off to a distant country on his own, out of communication with his father. In modern speak, I think this situation here can be described as God allowing the Israelites to become what they want to become. He gives them the independence and autonomy they crave. They get to set their own rules and live their own lives how they like. Now, of course, some may say what a fantastic thing it is to be free. Our Western liberal society craves individualistic freedom. Wow, amazing to choose for yourself, to go your own way, to discover for yourself. But I think there's a huge problem, a really big problem in this approach. In their self-absorption, the Israelites have rejected God's word, his instructions, and therefore his values, his plans and purposes for creation. They have opened themselves up to relying only on themselves to survive. To survive in a world which is broken, damaged, dysfunctional, chaotic and so intrinsically unfair. There are no guarantees. 
while they may think that their freedom from God is the best thing that could happen to them, they actually suffer from the ultimate problem with living a life of freedom. A life of absolute relativism. There is no certainty, no absolutes, no justice or fairness. To wrongly paraphrase Thomas Hobbes, life is solitary, poor, nasty, brutish and short. Because you cannot trust anybody else. They'll have different values to you. You can't claim your values are superior to somebody else's. So spiritual exile away from the plans and purposes and word of God will have huge consequences for the Israelites. So from the book of Amos we learn that while God is a God who speaks, who is patient, who seeks time again and again to help his people understand the consequences of their wrong behaviour, and from chapter 8 we learn that God can also be silent. By being silent he is a God who allows people their freedom, a God who allows people to use their freedom to walk away from him. I guess we should ask ourselves the same sorts of questions. Are we a people who are willing to listen to God? To the God who speaks? Or are we a people who mute God? Are our motives and actions shaped by God's voice or by our own voices, by God's agenda or our own? Now to start with, I think it's really important to remember that the book of Amos is not written specifically to individuals. It's not a personal letter to an individual in Israel. It's addressed to the whole nation, to the leaders and those with power and influence who represent the nation, to those who direct and lead the community. And so, it primarily offers a challenge to those who lead the global, regional, national and perhaps local church. Who are the leaders today who also need to reflect about whether they're listening to God or muting God? It's to those who have the power and influence to shape the community of God's behaviour. Now, unfortunately, I'm sure you're well aware in recent years, we have heard how some leaders have used their power and influence to get their own way rather than follow God's way. I'm sure, like me, you've been shocked by famous names who you used to look up to. You realise that they weren't role models in the sense of leading us closer to God. They were role models of how power can be abused. They're people who mute God and use their freedom to do what they want to do. And inevitably, people will suffer because of it. There's been physical suffering, emotional suffering and huge spiritual suffering because of their behaviour. Chapter 8 asks all leaders to reflect on how they seek to listen to God's voice and not be distracted by their own. How they ensure, how we ensure that they are following God's agenda, not their own. How they step out of their own echo chambers and discern God's will for his people. Now at Belmont I do believe we have an advantage of having a team leadership rather than one man and it is often a man ministry. Power and control is not centralised on an individual. We also deliberately do not raise an individual status perhaps through titles or events and rituals like ordination. 
all member ministry can help reduce the chance of power and authority being misused, but it can't always prevent it. Amos reminds us to act wisely as a community in our structures and systems of accountability. Having said all this, I do think chapter 8 can encourage us also to reflect on our own personal walk with God and our willingness to listen to him. Yes, it's not the primary message, I don't think, of, of the passage, but I think we can use it and apply it to our own lives. Now, I'm well aware that there may be some people here tonight or listening to the recording who may feel that God is currently silent in their lives. From what I've said tonight, they may now be worried that perhaps they unknowingly have walked away from God. And this is why God is on mute. Can I be really clear now? I think this is a real pastoral point that the silence which Amos describes here is not something that comes out of the blue. It's not something I think that these people need to worry about automatically. It only comes after God has spent time, plenty of time, speaking to his people, speaking, arguing, persuading, challenging. God does not let Israel walk away without investing time and energy in calling them back, in giving them the opportunity to understand their circumstance and situation, the opportunity to begin again. The spiritual exile in Amos is for deliberate, long-term turning away from God with no desire to walk with him despite his calling to them. Now there are many reasons why, for example, God may not seem to be answering your prayers. If this is you, may I recommend the book whose title I know I sort of borrowed uh, for my talk tonight, Pete Grieg's God on Mute, Engaging the Silence of Unanswered Prayer. It explores Pete's own prayer experiences alongside others and gives careful reasons why our prayers are sometimes unanswered. May I also encourage you to share with someone you trust about how you are feeling. As a family of believers, we're here to help each other through the ups and downs of our lives of faith. However, if God is silent in your life because of persistent, ongoing, unrepentant sin, behaviours, that you've refused to listen to the voices of others around you, of the spirit of God's word, then I still want to give you a message of hope. Because the God who is silent for those reasons... We do get glimpses in other parts, as I mentioned earlier, in chapter 5 and in chapter 9, that there is hope, that God does welcome back those who choose to return, those who come to their senses and seek to listen to God's speaking and follow how he tells them to live. The parable of the prodigal son, which I mentioned earlier, reinforces this. Having said these two clarifications, perhaps the best way forward is to ensure that we do not walk away from God. We need to invest time in listening to God as he speaks to us and guides us by his spirit. Now I do not know um, how best you hear from God in your own walk with him, what methods or techniques you use to allow God to draw close to you by his spirit. How do you make use of technology to listen to God? How do you use your own creativity to listen and remember God's voice speaking to you? Do you journal, listen to podcasts, read a range of authors? We all have different personalities, different spiritualities, and so we may find we prefer some ways over others to hear God speak into our lives. 
But despite all of the different ways we use, at the heart of them all, we should find the written word of God, the Bible. Since this record of God speaking and acting in history is the standard we can use to test if what we're hearing is from God or simply our own desires. And at the heart of the written word of God is the living word of God, Jesus. He himself can act as a role model for what it means to listen to the God who speaks. Jesus not only taught the talk, but he also walked the walk. It was Jesus who in the Garden of Gethsemane said, Yet not my will, but yours be done, to God the Father. As I bring this talk to a close, let me pray for us that we will walk with God this week rather than away from him, as we also encourage others to do the same as us. Let us pray. Father God, be thou our vision, O Lord of our hearts. Naught be all else to us save that thou art. You are best thought by day or by night, waking or sleeping, your presence our light. Lord, thank you for your patience with your people and your willingness to come and guide us through the ups and downs of life. As we go into another week of life, help us to be sensitive to your voice and guard our hearts so that we can say, along with Jesus, not my will, but yours be done. Amen.